0: Right, good morning, everyone. How is everyone today? Hopefully very good and energized. Um, My name is Pedro Rosario. I'm Divisional Vice President for the Global Healthcare Technology Company, Abbott. And I'm going to do some brief introductions of my colleagues. And the topic for this seminar is the Embracing Diversity and Inclusion in Clinical Trials. So thank you for being here and some brief intro from my colleagues.
1: I'm Jennifer Jones. I'm the Divisional Vice President of Global Clinical Affairs. And I'm Deborah Brown. I am the
0: Senior Director for Toxicology Labs within the U.S.
1: Great. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, coming today. Um, You know, uh, we have some familiar Abbott folks. but today we're going to dig into diversity in clinical trials, uh, it's an area that maybe you've heard of that is growing within across industry, uh, very important for the type of work we do in, in developing the best therapeutics possible for our patients. And so our agenda, we'll look at some learning objectives, also uh, talking about the cl- diversity in clinical trial landscapes, what's driving the change. Uh, why diversity in clinical trials matters and promoting uh, diversity inclusion within our trial landscape. So with some of the learning objectives that we'll go over today is that it's important that we just level set on why diversity inclusion is important with this type of work with, uh, with clinical trials. But we also want to look at best practices of how you engage diverse populations and how do we employ those practices and also illustrating that Diversity in clinical trials is imperative to the work we do and with clinical trials because they change modern medicine. And so we can't have a homogeneous group when you're doing this type of work. And then also just showcasing what these long-term benefits can get us. So I want to start off with a topic that, I'd like to start here because it level sets us on looking at race and ethnicity in general and the defining of race. And I, this is a quote by Dr. Uh, Audrey Smeltley, in what she said, by worldview, I mean a culturally structured, systematic way of looking at, perceiving, interpreting various world realities. I define race as such a worldview. In short, what Dr. Smeltley is saying is that race is a social construct. It's not biologic. And this needs to be a center point when we do this type of equity work from a biologic level, looking at therapies, uh, new, new technologies that help patients. Because if we start with a framework thinking that race is biologic, it can lead us to in the wrong direction. You know, the Human Genome Project showed that we are 99.9% the same. So, that genetically. So, that means that me as an African American woman, there's far more variability within my race that I define that I'm part of than if I compared to a, a, ra- a, a racial group that is not African American. And so, I want you kind of to keep this in front of you as we move forward in this presentation. Because when we look at diversity and population and disease burden, and we look at certain co- um, chronic diseases such as hypertension, obesity, diabetes, high cholesterol, we see that many racial and ethnic groups, such as African-Americans, have a higher propensity or higher um, prevalence of these diseases. And, it's a, and, it, and so a very simplistic correlation occurs where people say, oh, well, um, there are a higher percentage of, of uh, African-Americans that are high, have hypertension or diabetes or obesity. This must mean there's a biologic uh, reason for this. And, but that's not necessarily the truth we have to look at some other elements and contributors. And one of, that, one of those is social determinants of health. So where we live, work, how much money we make, our food access, uh, what healthcare system that we are actually able to have access to and our community relationships all impact our health. Our biology, our physiology is not independent from our environment. And so as we conduct research, we must note, okay, are there sp- specific groups that are more impacted? Is there greater pressure from social determinants of health on certain racial and ethnic groups? And that, we know that's true. Because if we look generationally, there are certain racial and ethnic um, populations that have been uh, subjected to greater stresses when it comes to where they've worked, food access, health a- care access, and that impacts their biology. So as we do this work we, of diversity inclusion in clinical trials, this element can't be ignored. Because as we develop these new therapies for patients, we've got to figure out how are social determinants of health impacting these populations. So what is the issue? And one of, them, the, one of the main issues is just representation in clinical trials. And we know that clinical trials are the foundation of modern medicine. We, they're necessary for us to evaluate new therapies and devices. However, women and people of color are systematically underrepresented in clinical trials, and this has been going on for a long time. If we look at a very simplistic um, graphic here with the U.S. population on your left and the um, population of people in clinical trials, there's a great disparity. So the Hispanic population, and this was uh, back in about 2011, so it's a little dated, uh, but in the U.S. population, Hispanic population was identified as 16 percent, African American as 12 percent, Caucasian as 72 percent. But when you go over and look at clinical trials, you see that the predominant group that was participating in trials was Caucasian at 94 percent. So this is showing some of this disparity. So let's move forward to something more contemporary in 2020. So the FDA did a drug trial snapshot report to look at race, ethnicity, gender, age, participation in clinical trials. And this was based on um, trials of 53, that approved 53 novel drugs. They had over 32,000 patients. And what we see is very similar to what we saw in 2011, where participation was predominantly by white, was with white um, individuals or white patients at 75%. And African-Americans were only about 8%, and Hispanic for ethnicity was 11%. So we haven't shifted uh, the uh, pendulum much uh, with this type of work, even though these two data snapshots were about 10 years apart. So a new approach to clinical trials. So with Abbott, we have a goal of sustainability. We have our 2030 sustainability plan. And that is to make access and affordability core to the new product innovation transform care for diseases, chronic diseases, malnutrition, infectious diseases, and advance health equity. And so nested in this work is diversity and inclusion in clinical trials. We can't have a sustainability of, of 2030 sustainability plan that has these three tenants and not think that our work in diversity, inclusion, and clinical trials is part of this. So how are we doing it? Well, I will have to say it's multi-layered. I wish I could say that it was, there was one simple answer and that we could it would say, oh, if we do this, it's going to be all solved. And it's not. It's, there, there, there are several layers to this approach. And one thing that we must consider is the investigator diversity and site selection. So when we conduct our clinical trials, uh, we, you know, we as sponsors, uh, and Abbott's not the only company that we become very comfortable with certain uh, hospital systems and physicians we go to because they have consistently been very successful either at enrolling or patient outcomes. However, we do have to shift a little because there are other investigators, or I should say, physicians and nurses and clinical sites that may not have been exposed to trials, but they have but they're very embedded into diverse populations, and they are, are, are very focused and intentional about treating diverse populations. And so it's part of our work to be intentional about including these physicians, nurses clini- and hospital sites and in participating clinical trials. However, we must be careful with this because there's a level of education and mentorship that is needed. We can't just hand um, a trial to a, to a new investigator, a trial site, and walk away. We must put the investment forward to train uh, these individuals such that they're prepared and ready. And, and I, want, I want to even say the training is like even running along with them as they go through this process. Now patient barriers. Of course we're not going to f- forget the patient barriers, and barriers to access are huge. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen that patients, there are certain elements that really prevent them from participating in clinical trials. One is a simple lack of trust. And if we don't have trust with our patient population, and yes, as a sponsor, we can even create that level of trust, this can be problematic. But trust, understanding, common language, uh, those are elements that we've got to attack. And we'll get more into that, of how we do that. Um, Cross-industry cross collaboration is also very important. Uh, as Abbott, we can't do this alone. And, and on this journey that we've been, uh, we've been on for over the past year, it's been great to actually see other sponsors and be on panels with them in discussion of the work that we are all trying to do together. And also, I would say, in alignment with like the Food and Drug Administration, who's put out some wonderful guidance about this, in which we are partnering to do this work. And then also, lastly, a Diversity Advisory Board. Uh, it, it would be very narrow for us to believe that we have all the answers for what patients need and what physicians need or clinical sites need. So bringing in stakeholders uh, who, uh, who are physicians, patient advocates, who can give us feedback on the work we're doing and how we continue to in- improve on that. So investigator and site selection and mentoring, so like I, one thing we noted or I noted earlier is that patient trust is an important element. And one way to achieve this is by putting them, having patients be really cocooned by a community of physicians and nurses who are part of their trusted network. And so, but to create this trust means I also need to ensure that I am identifying the community network of physicians, nurses, hospital systems that are going to support them. Now, this is our challenge, though. When I look at this pie chart of physicians, uh, you see that there's still a disparity in the physicians from representation who are African-American, Latino, Asian. It's, it's a smaller, uh, smaller part of the pie. And if I slice this down even more by specialties that we uh, physicians that we need to access for our trials, it gets even smaller. So there has to be intentional work that we have to do to actually have a have a pipeline to train uh, these physio- identify, train, and, and again, like I said, run alongside them for a while so that they're prepared to participate in the trial work. And so, with one of our clinical trials at Abbott, uh, with our within our vascular business, Life BTK, we've done we've been doing that work. Uh, and so, we the, Life BTK is to evaluate. Uh, our drug-eluting resolvable scaffold to treat clinical limb ischemia. And so critical limb ischemia, it's a disease of the artery below the knee. And uh, unfortunately, it is very devastating, and at the same time, it impacts uh, people of color disproportionately than other groups. And so we knew that in order to appropriately evaluate this therapy, we needed to have the correct patients in this trial. We couldn't have it where they were not representing, the trial was not representing those who were burdened by the disease. So one of the physicians we had uh, reached out to and we had identified is Dr. Lisa Ochoa. And she's out of San Antonio, Texas. She's a vascular surgeon. And she had taken it upon herself a few years back to build vascular surgery centers in areas of high um, uh, a high proportion of diabetes, amputations. They were really the the areas in San Antonio that had been redlined, and these patients did not have access to health care or quality health care, I should say. And so Dr. Ochoa, she uh, agreed to sign on with us as a trial site, and she had never done a clinical trial before, and I'll remember her face because she was kind of like, how do we start this? But what we did as Abbott is we came in and we, we supported them with the training, supported them with what they needed to do to conduct the trial. And Dr. Ochoa has been successful and is enrolled. Now, what's key here is that we have trained her for this one trial, but independent of Abbott, Dr. Ochoa is now prepared to be a trial site with any sponsor that comes. And that's the goal because she can provide access to new technologies to the patient populations she serves. And it can go across um, different companies. Now, removing barriers for patients. So I named a list of few things. You know, definitely a lack of trust, lack of understanding, but there's a lack of access. And if we do not attack some of these areas, we really are not serving our patients well. And so what we notice, and, and, and one thing is, uh, I, I, this was part we've done with the LIFE-PTK trials, that. Patients needed a way to get back and forth to their visits. And so transportation definitely is an issue and a barrier. So we put in place uh, support services so patients could get back and forth to the visits or even just something simple as paying for parking. Some of the treatments that patients receive from our trials at Abbott, are um, require multiple visits and may need a procedure that they have to stay overnight so we want to ensure that they had lodging access food access if they had to come from a long way to see their physician Uh, home visits so the trial that i spoke about life pdk we started in the midst of covid it was august of 2020 and so uh, we needed a way for patients if they did not want to leave home to be seen by a clinical staff. And so we did st- work with a company and, and conduct home visits, and, and its other, other parts of Abbott have used that, this model as well because it's very supportive of the patient. And patient websites, so we had given, gotten feedback from some of our physicians that once they meet with their patients, uh, they feel like there's not a single source of reliable information. So we re- So we thought, what can we do to provide a solid piece of information for patients and their family members. And so we actually launched the Life BTK website, which was a very patient-friendly, plain language, and patients could be witnessed. We made sure that those who were on video on the, because we, we I'll talk about the, the video we developed as well as just the, the pictures, the graphics, were very friendly and diverse themselves so patients and families could see themselves. Uh, translation services. We've had trials where we've gotten feedback that patients, um, because of a language barrier and in in the clinical site not having a translator, did not um, offer a clinical trial to this patient. So we make sure that all of our trials have translation services present, and then the patient video and radio media tour. So, one, one, with the light BTK trial, we we tried to consider, you know, how can we, you know, especially during the pandemic, how can we reach the patient and and you know almost you know make it. Such that they could uh, come, you know, it's almost like coming into their home or or providing this uh, single source of reliable information. And so we worked with Lifetime TV, which has Access Health, and we actually just developed a basic video with them on uh, clinical trial, uh, what a clinical trial is, what peripheral artery disease is, and we had uh, some of our physicians, our diverse physicians in there, we had a patient in there, and we put that on the website itself. So, and then, and we did something real basic to a radio tour, because patients receive information differently. I've gotten feedback that the, the, the adult child of a patient needs the wants the website where the the parent wants to leave behind or and, and then being on the radio we we were able to do just some simple uh, discussions about the disease state of PAD. So we it's just a multi-layered approach, understanding your patient population, understanding the disease, and what do the what do the patients need and so uh, cross-industry collaboration so i mentioned before the food and drug administration and and this is very important because the fda for years has put out guidance on diversity inclusion clinical trials and in in the last year they actually even put out a template and so this work with fda is really transformative because I think we're at a point where finally we're building and and, uh, improving upon where we've been before. And and they want to see it. And they're even asking, I was on a panel just recently, and they said, what what can we do to work with you more as a sponsor to to get to the point where we're increasing the numbers of diverse patients? And and my simple answer was, as I I send uh, materials in on our trials, give me feedback. Tell us as a sponsor what else we can be doing. And the Diversity Advisory Board, like I mentioned prior, uh, we need support from uh, stakeholders outside of Abbott to help build this long-term vision. And so we have an external MAB that does go across Abbott and has some of the um, you know brightest minds from certain parts of uh, therapeutic or disease state uh, areas uh, or physician specialties that uh, gives us the feedback that we need in order to support uh, the, the growth in this work. So the integration of health equity. You know, we could get the question of why do we do this, and it's very simple to just start off. It's the right thing to do. You know, as Abbott, we're a global company. We make therapies for all people. And so we need to ensure that we're intentional about making sure that there are patients who have not traditionally been part of our trials that are part of our trials. We want to make sure our product data is is distributed where it is representing uh, many groups. And then also we want to treat the population that's adversely impacted by the disease. It, it makes really no sense if we, we don't have that goal. And, and there's just a general care for all patients that we're working on. So with clinical trial diversity and the results, we want to engage the broader population. That's one of the goals. But also we want to improve the next gen- healthcare for the next generation. That should, that's our second goal. And lastly, we want that clinical evidence to be inclusive of all populations. Can't be one-sided. And so some of the recommendations that we're taking with us and I will give to you as well is that we continue to encourage a conversation about a diverse enrollment and also discuss the diversity plan with your trials. Make them aware of the work that we are doing and what we'd like them to do. And then also seek out opportunities to bring along new stakeholders, new trial sites, new physicians. Be intentional about that work. And then once we do that, identify these physician sites, nurses, research coordinators, we want to ensure we offer them the resources they need to be successful because we can't just put it in front of them and say, please be diverse, but we don't do the work to support them with that. And so I end with our quality statement, uh, built as if it was intended for my family, and this is truly what I do because this is my family. And I think about my son, my husband, and what I would, what I want. If they were in a trial, what would I want to do? And and give them the best. So thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Jennifer. Um, uh, a very fantastic topic, fantastic presentation. So um, I'm going to open it for questions from the audience now on the topic. So we can address any question you may have.
1: That's a great question. So, um, can you hear me all right? Okay. Uh, I'm going to answer it in different ways. So, well, (laughs) uh, the organization I run of Global Clinical Affairs, I I do consider it's pretty diverse. I have a strong uh, female leadership (laughs) group, I will say that, when um, most of those who are working um, across the trials uh, right now, I'd say it's a a strong uh, number of women. Uh, I, I think that we, we do have quite a level of diversity of people of color, um, but it's more global. Uh, you know, I would say an a- international presence. But what, one way I did wanna answer that as well is that what I found, and and, we, and so like I mentioned, we started this work in 2020 when we were in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, vast, the vascular business did not stop our trials, okay? And our trials are device-based. That meant people needed to be in cath labs OR suites with the, pay, with the physicians, and we did not stop that, and we continued to enroll. It wasn't the fastest enrollment, but we continued to enroll. And when we started this diversity work, this meant that we needed people to invest more time. And I was blown away by the individuals who did invest more time. They, they took it upon themselves and said, like, like a, I have a Lisa Ochoa. Who was a Latina, you know, Latina physician who need, who wanted? She said, "I need mentorship. I need support." And they spent that time. We also have another female va- black vascular surgeon out of Dallas, who again, she was like, "I can do it, but I need someone to be here with me." And the team invested the time. So, you know, I I don't know if I answered completely like the diversity. You know, we are diverse to a extent with our female presence, but I also want to mention that those who were part of the trial ecosystem at Abbott, we're very invested in this work and still are.
0: Yeah. I'd like to add to that um, as part of the 2030 Sustainability Goals for Abbott, uh, we have set ourselves you know, to bring over 100,000 of underrepresented minorities in the STEM fields. And we have made great progress in the past year, we're up to 24,000. And it's across the company, it's a, it's a very intended target for us because diversity is very important for us for our future. Any other questions?
1: So a few things, um, what I will um, would like to mention is that we've started a few programs to help with the pipeline work because, as you noted, it, it can be very challenging to seek out because Lisa Ochoa was introduced to us, you know, and so it wasn't like we had a specific program. So one uh, one of the pieces of work we've done is the Woman of One. Uh, which, and the CLIMB program, which works with um, a, it's an organization which is targeting women physicians, as well as male physicians of diverse background and non-binary individual, people who identify as non-binary, and these are all physicians who wanna go through training to be trial sites, to be, and so that's one of the pipelines that we've developed. Now, what we also announced last year with Abbott is that we are working with um, historically black college and universities that have medical schools. And we're investing in scholarships because that's gonna be working through the pipeline of training the next generation of physicians. And also investing in National Black Nurses Association with scholarships and National Hispanics Association so through of nurses. So through this work, we're hoping to build that foundational piece Now, when we go to the trial sites, what some of the clinical team has also started to do is that we have a metric board where we're able to go to the clinical trial site, uh, the physician, the nurse, they can also bring in the administrator and look at basically the metrics around, this is who comes in the door from a diversity perspective of your patient population. This is the trial we have designed, and here are some of the targets that we are interested in hitting. So, those conversations are happening as we go to uh, tr- new trial sites for uh, the clinical trial work we do. do set up? get a trial site that is big city, That's a great question. So yes, we can go to small, like smaller, I'm trying to think of um, a smaller, like Missoula, let's say Missoula, Montana or something, you know, something far out. Again, we would come in and ask them, what do you need to conduct this trial? Or actually, you know, I'll give you a better example, more realistic example. We have a, a site in Tallahassee who the physician had said, well, you know, I do have satellite centers and I sometimes my patients, it's easier for them to go to the satellite. OK, well, can we set up where um, we talked about the home visits? Well, that service that we provide for home visits, we can actually deploy them to go to satellite sites and try to meet the patient there. And so, and then also, I will tell you, we have a site in Kansas, um, in Wichita, whose patients come from far out. And that's where the home visits really work, because patients were coming from a distance. And not having to go to the center really works. So the question really has to be with the site, what resources do you need? Well, I'm I'm in medical devices, and so I do know that our other business units have looked at these uh, resources to support their other trials, so it's not limited to just vascular. It's just vascular has done a lot of the work around it. Well, with our clinical trials, number one, we have to start with the disease state and understanding the burden across race and ethnicity. One thing that we have done is also looking at pairing it with um, CMS Medicare data. Now, that's very US-centric, but looking at how the disease state falls when you look at CMS data. And we haven't set to say this is the absolute target but we have to keep that in mind in order to evaluate what should the distribution possibly look like, but we don't set exact targets in there uh, as we're enrolling. We haven't gotten to that st- stage yet. It's more of an awareness of, okay, we know this disease state, this is the burden, maybe the impact of woman, maybe the p- impact of the Latino or the African American population. How is it that we wanna target um, clinical trial strategies to support this population? and FDA hasn't asked for specific targets just as yet. They do ask you to lay out the population in their guidance, you know, what the, what would potential targets look like, but also I think there's more fluid discussion around that. I would say yes, because you, we have to remember, and, and I, I will only speak for the United States, that there are challenges when it comes to race in the United States because there are, um, Specific populations, we know that there's just been general, generational racism, uh, generational issues around social determinants of health. And then that leads to an overall lack of trust. So how do you change, You know, here we are in clinical trials, but there's a whole social dynamic that exists here that we can't change overnight. And there's an issue with health equity that it exists that you know we're just part of this ecosystem so i would say these are the challenges that we have to overcome and it's it's a long haul it's a marathon and we and hence why i said you know we have to have this cross industry collaboration and also with other stakeholders because um we are not able to shift this alone
0: right um i'd like to close uh, with a brief you know information about out. we're a- global healthcare company, about forty-three billion dollars in revenue a couple of years ago. Uh, divided in four major groups, if you will, medical devices, which is represented here in the clinical trials information we're providing. Uh, our nutrition. And some of you have might have PDLite or insurance glucerna, that's from our nutrition business. We also have branded generics as a business in uh, new emerging markets. And we have diagnostics, so the COVID testing that's been um, you know, fairly used during pandemic is just probably part um, Healthcare technology um, on a very strong mission of diversified our workforce. So um, we have tons of challenging opportunities, very scientifically driven. So uh, we also have you know, new postings some new jobs. So if you're interested, go to abbott.com uh, um, to find more information about the opportunities that we have in the company.